Hello to everyone tuning in. Most of you are familiar with Celtics life, but if not, here's a quick rundown. We're a Boston Celtics fan site that covers everything Celtics, from the latest trade rumor to the other trade rumor to the Nets picks and exactly how Danny Ainge got his free Chipotle play for life card. The pod covers the same topics as our site does, but a little more freely and from a weekly instead of daily point of view. Best part is we're all talking about this from a fan's perspective. We'll cover last week's games and major stories, as well as look into the week and month ahead. We'll probably change things up a bit as the show evolves, so please let us know anything you want to hear more of, or if anything comes to mind. So I am Mark Allison. I'm here today, joined with my buddy Justin Quinn. What's up, Justin? How's it going? Good, man. Good, man. So what do we got? Oh, let's just dive right into last week's games. Cool. Um, I don't want to start off on a, on a negative note, but I mean, it was the, the furthest back game. Speaking of the uh, the Toronto loss, 114-106. to 106. Yeah, that was pretty painful to watch, at least uh, the last uh, 10 minutes or so. I feel like we cursed our well, – I cursed us uh, – I kind of, I kind of was into those jerseys, man. The uh, the Huskies thing was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty wild. It's like we played the uh, Kentucky Wildcats there. Yeah, it was it was a little weird, but um, I mean, at least we got to see De- uh, Demar Derozan go absolutely nuts. Yeah, that that was really something. I mean, uh, that was what did he have? Um, twenty eight in the second half, I think. Yeah, forty one points overall, thirteen rebounds. Yeah, that did was... he have thirteen rebounds? Uh, yeah. I think he had uh, a third of what our whole team had. It didn't feel like it. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. But yeah, and then when we, I mean, we were missing Bradley that game, and and obviously that would have helped at least somewhat. He's the best on ball defender in the league, so I mean, sure that would have helped. But they should have won that game anyways. Being up like they were, I mean, to just melt down like that at the end was was pretty wild. Second unit still weak, and and really we got killed in the boards by Valenciunas, and really the whole team, particularly strangely DeRozan, he's pulling an Avery Bradley on us. Yeah, no, that that was that was. Uh, I, there was one stretch where there was uh, I don't know if it was the fourth or the end of the third, but um, there there was like a volley where like they got four offensive rebounds on one possession before they finally got the bucket. <laughs> like just absolutely, that can happen. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, so uh, what do you think? You think we're not going to see uh, Brad coach an All Star game now? So, um, so basically, now now the All Star. How does the coaching get decided for the? It's the it's the 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 leader of the East or the West best record, but you can't do it two years in a row. So Tyrone right, so, is not so that, so that's why um, Ty lose out. Okay, yeah, I mean, um, it's going to be. It's, it's what do we got? Two, three, three and a half weeks, something About like that. that. Yeah, yep. I mean, there's, there's still plenty of time. I mean, it'll be uh, – I, I don't think Brad could care less if he coaches the All-Star game or not, to be honest with you. But, um, but I mean, it, it would be it would be a cool and a good nod to the team that, you know, there is some improvement going on here. Yeah, it'll get people's attention. For sure. And, I mean, um, Isaiah's going to be there. Whether he's a starter or not is, you know, that that's another story. But the um, – I mean, he's going to be there because the coaches are going to pick him on the team, you know, regardless of how the fan voting goes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it should, it should be interesting. Did you catch the uh, Canadian anthem singer? Yeah. What was with that? I don't know. Um, you did not was have that a, like a famous prompter? person, or was that a famous person, or, or I didn't, I didn't know who it was, so. Yeah, Canadian fans, if there are any out there, I'm sorry, I have no idea who that was. Yeah, that was that was, but that was pretty pretty brutal. <laughs> At least the crowd helped. Yeah, for sure. And what else? So, um, well, after uh, after the loss of Toronto, we had the back to back. We had Washington the next day, right? Yep. Um, th- that was a nice turnaround, especially shorthanded like they were. We only had what nine guys, ten guys uh, dressed. Everyone played, but Jackson. It was pretty brutal. Yeah. And uh, and yet, you know, John Wall throws up a dud. I mean, they were on a, the second night of a back-to-back too. But Jesus, I, I did the green envy that day, and reading the reading the Washington fans' comments about John Wall was pretty uh, pretty funny. Considering, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people would think, oh, God, the, the Celtics need to get a guy like John Wall. But then you read the comments from like Washington fans and. <laughs> Things maybe yeah. not are always as good as you think they are. Yep. Um, that was. Jay uh, Crowd had a pretty good game. 
Yeah, I mean, he's getting open looks there, you know? I mean, when they were moving the ball like that, I mean, he was he was wide open, you know? And, uh, I mean, the guy can shoot, you know? Yeah, he couldn't before, but he seems to have actually developed a pretty decent shooting touch. And right. It seems like it's sticking around, too. Yeah, and that's definitely, definitely um, important. I mean, we were talking last week, me and Lewis, about Crowder and how important he is going forward because Crowder is has that deal. He's, I mean, he's signed for under $8 million through – to, through 2020. So, I mean, ideally, I, I think of all the guys, he's one of the least likely to get traded because they they need to have guys with those kind of contracts that they can fit on the team if they get a couple of max deals, you know? Particularly if uh, Isaiah ends up earning the kind of money that... Right, he I mean, yeah, he's deserves. going to get a max deal because if we don't give him a max deal, someone else is anyways. So, yeah. I mean, he's getting one. And Avery Bradley's going to get a hefty payday next year too. It's going to be easier to keep Crowder than it is going to be to keep Bradley and Thomas if we add another guy, you know? Yeah, and I don't really buy this whole uh, he's going to be bad at the end of it because he's short thing. I mean, like, if he if he is quote-unquote bad, then he's going to be like a middle-of-the-run, you know, borderline all-star instead of definite all-star point guard, and that's that's – that's yeah. a that's a nice problem to have. No, yeah, sure. And the way the way he closes out games, it's like it's. I mean, I don't I, I don't understand the hate towards him. I mean, a lot of people say that it's he's one side of the ball. He's not really a good defender. He can't, you know, that, and I and that's totally understandable. But when the other four guys on the team are all pretty good defenders, I mean, I think that's less of an issue. You know, Al I mean, Horford, uh, Al Horford had a quiet night too. Sixteen points and nine rebounds. Yeah, and he's been tremendous. Um, I think he's, I think he's doing the, the um, he's blocking more shots now than he has in his whole career, and like quietly. I gotta look that up, but I'm pretty sure. Well, he was leading the league for a while. I know he fell off, but I'm not entirely sure. But I think he's, had, it's like a career year in terms of blocks for him. I'm, nope. let me see. He is, yeah, he's, uh, he's almost two blocks a game, 1.9 a game, and his highest season long was, he had one and a half back in, 13 to 2013 2014 so what'd you what'd you think of the uh the nose the nose boop that was i mean that was pretty funny but um i i certainly see where john wall's coming from i wouldn't want somebody sticking their finger in my nose either but uh it was, <laughs> it was certainly an interesting way to end that game it's i guess uh it's nice to be on the the side of the winning team, so it was. A yeah, I mean, plus, it, it cost Jay. Kind of seemed like sour grapes to them, I guess. But um, that was. Uh, it looked like it was funny how it just escalated so quickly. Who knows what they were saying? But it looked like they were joking around at first, uh-huh. and then and then the finger poke came, and then that all hell broke loose. Cops all around. Floyd, yeah, yeah. Floyd, Floyd Mayweather in the audience. Yeah. Oh God, that was funny. Yeah. Hey, whatever. I don't. Floyd, if he's gonna get there, if Isaiah's gonna play like that when he's there, fine, that's fine by me. Bring him to every game. Yep. That was, uh, you know. But um, yeah, I, I thought it was funny too that um, I think a lot of people thought that when they saw the scuffle when when it first happened, <clears throat> Washington fans on Twitter were going crazy on um, Marcus Smart because they just saw they didn't see the original incident. They only saw Smart rushing over and getting in the middle of the scuffle. And uh, everyone was dog and smart. And then when they started showing the replays, people realized it was Crowder and Wall and not Marcus Smart. I thought that was funny. Well, let's jump into the Atlanta game, which was another win, barely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was um, that. was that. I mean, to, to watch the end of that game when, when Isaiah just had to take over, it was uh, – that was, I mean, Jesus, how many times is this guy going to bail us out at the end of games? I mean, Toronto was the first time he couldn't really do it in the last, I mean, I can't even remember how when was the last time he didn't come through. Well, I mean, you know, in the last year proved that uh, that is not the game plan we need, so. Right, right. I mean, I, I think the difference between this year and last year is, uh, is, well, in the playoffs anyways, when it seemed like he got bottled up a lot of those games. This year... The guys are knocking down shots around him, so it's opening more opportunities for him. You know, it, it's it seemed like Toronto was able to. The spacing is better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you have Al Horford there, 
he's a much bigger threat to pull people away from the basket than Jared Sullinger was, you know? When Jared <laughs> Sullinger used to shoot three-pointers. He just didn't make them, you know? <laughs> but but and even, even Amir's hitting shots. I don't remember him taking threes, you know? No, he never took threes until this season. That's I mean, what I mean. And he, and the big man revolution. Pretty, he's shooting like 38% or something like that. I and mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable for a guy. I mean, it takes him a half an hour to shoot the ball, but... <laughs> Still, yeah. the, no, but he's not, when he's open, he knocks him down, you know, at least a good portion of the time. So, I mean, it definitely creates some space when your big guys, you know, can get the, their big guys away from the basket, you know. Well, Linick had a good game, too, you know. That's you know, right. And it was 26 points and eight boards, which is, you know, I mean, he's grabbed a couple, he's grabbed close to double digits a couple other times this season, but I think this was his high for the season. Yeah, that guy is an enigma because he, he sometimes a point guard in, in, a, in a big man's body. Ah, and he shows as when he plays like that. And I mean, if he plays like, if, imagine he doesn't have to score twenty six points, but imagine if you could get you know fifteen points out of him a game, and he could consistently you know eight seven eight rebounds, and he could pass the ball like he does. You know, I mean, he's a pretty dynamic weapon. But I think I think his issue is, and me and Lewis talked about this also last week, that he's a guy that needs to play a lot of minutes. He yep. doesn't seem primed for a role where he comes in for a couple minutes because if he takes a shot and he misses, then he starts getting skittish and, and you know, and then he's double clutching when he's going to shoot instead of just firing away and, and not playing with confidence when he, when he plays in the smaller role. I, I think like, like we were saying, Jarebko is probably a better fit to just be the guy that comes in for short spurts like that, you know? Yep. He doesn't seem to have a problem firing him away. <laughs> but well, he'll probably be on another team next season. Yeah, we, 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 surprised. We, we were saying that too because I mean, it, there's really you know, I, I this doesn't look like there's going to be a role for him going forward, you know. And it'll probably be better for him anyways because he'll he can if he get on a team that he can actually play consistently, you know, big minutes. I, I think he can still develop into a really good player. And Crowder had a good game that game too: eighteen points and nine rebounds. Yeah, these were his first two good games since the uh, the incident last week with the uh, <laughs> with the, the Gordon Hayward. It seemed like after he got in his uh, Twitter beef with everybody, uh, he, he kind of went in a little slump there, but it seems like he's back now. Well, maybe the Horford booze from Atlanta were enough to get him fired up. <laughs> Fuel him up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they wanted to win that game for Al pretty bad, so it was, it was nice to see him some pull that out, especially when uh, – it got real tight at the end there. Looked like that game was in hand and it was going to slip away too, but they, uh, so what do you think would have happened if he had missed that shot? What would the narrative have been? Oh, if Isaiah missed that shot? Yeah. Well, they, yeah, cause they were saying he waved off. He waved yeah. off. They were going to, they were going to run a pick and roll, right? He waved it off and took, um, what was it that he shot on? Was it Bazemore on the, um, yep, right in Bazemore's face. On, he dropped the three. The, Right, on the uh, uh, ISO. I mean, that was a Paul Pierce, you know, uh, drive and, you know, fadeaway there. That was a nice pull-up fadeaway. That was a nice was a nice shot. But I, I think you're right. If he had missed it, I don't know. I, I guess, um, I mean, you know, you, you can't expect the guy to come through every time. It just seems like he always does, you know. Yeah, I think I think that uh, it going in definitely helped keep the narrative keep the narrative alive for sure. But I mean, he did hit, he hit about three or four big buckets before that one too. So the fact that they were even in that position, I mean, that was that was all him. Well, they shot like seventy two percent in the first. Mm-hmm. They did, yeah. And uh, I mean, that that was like they were up ten points with like five minutes to go, weren't they? Or or maybe even it might have even been less time than that. So they they let they allowed Atlanta to creep back there. Well, I think if he had missed that shot, it would have gone into the next thing that I wanted to talk about. Going back to the Toronto game, which is can we beat a good team? Not that you know, yeah, this is a great team, but they are fourth in the East, and if we could, if we didn't beat them, man, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, at least it was nice to see him come back from that Toronto game, which was big. You know, they wanted that game bad. They didn't get it. They, they still haven't beaten any of these elite teams because. We're talking what San Antonio, Golden State, Cleveland. Um, it seems like they're they're capable. To, I, I I think like Toronto's not necessarily on the level with those teams, but they're certainly the next tier that we hope to be on. Maybe we're on. But well, we dropped games to the Cavs, one of which I think we could have won. Both mm. of the games against the Spurs, I think, were winnable till close to the end. Right. Both of the OKC games were winnable. 
this last Toronto game at least was was when we should have won. They should they should have they definitely should have won that game. Yes, and I mean for for three quarters they were with the Warriors. Right. Yeah, and then then yeah things got ugly. But the um, <laughs> and then uh, I think one of those San Antonio games was a blowout though. I think we got smoked on one of them. At least it was, yeah, it ended it was, up being it was like a blowout. The Maybe it was it might have been held close. Their own for a while. Right. Right. And they just dominated us. And well, a lot of that too is they're just like. It will hang with a team like that, and then maybe not so much in the case of Golden State, but the other ones, like the the rebounding really, really wears on you as the game gets deeper, and like how many more chances does the other team get, you know, when it's, I mean, how much better than them do you have to shoot if you're getting out-rebounded like that? A lot. Right. But, um, yeah. That's, um, I don't know. It's, uh. It, it, they're going to have to add somebody. They're going to have to do something uh, if they want to. Uh, right now, they can compete with. I think they can compete with Toronto in a series. But if if Toronto goes and adds somebody, you know, um, which they may, right? I mean, I know they were hot after um, um, Millsap, but the way Atlanta's playing right now, maybe they're not going to unload Millsap. You know, they're they're. Um, they say they're not gonna. Yeah, I mean, when they dumped Corver, I thought, I mean, he's next thing gone out the door. But I, I guess they'll probably see how they're doing going into the deadline. Um, I, I mean, they they may want, they may be in looking to sign him long term. You know, so maybe maybe he isn't going anywhere because they're just gonna you know re-sign him at the end of the season. So. Where do you think Isaiah Thomas is in the in the MVP race right now? So I, I wrote about this yesterday. Um, it, so I, the clear cut number one and number two are um, Russ Westbrook, who's averaging a triple double, which is bananas. And then um, Harden's the number two guy. He's right behind him. He leads the league in assists right now, which is wild for a guy like Harden. Um, well, with Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, it's a different system. The ball goes through him. It's a great idea, you know? I mean, um. Clearly. And, and they're that's, doing amazing. Yeah. Much better and that's, well, that's what Houston, you know, that's what Daryl Morey, that's what he, he's, he's a three point guy. He's a stat nerd and running that kind of a system. And that's right up D'Antoni's alley. They're a perfect match, those two. Uh, I'll be honest, I wrote them off the season. Yeah, I did not think, I did not expect this to happen. I remember at the beginning of the year, we're thinking about how we could get Harden from, you know, Houston, you know? And it's like, he's not going anywhere. (laughs) The guy's playing the best (laughs) basketball of his career. By Um, the franchise, that's about it. Yeah, but they funnel the ball through him. He handles every, you know, he handles the ball and he's doing a good job distributing it too. But, But those two guys are definitely miles ahead of everybody else. And then, then is where you get into, you got LeBron and Durant. They're both, you know, they're both perennial MVP candidates. But Isaiah and then um, Giannis over there in the uh, from the Bucks, the Greek freak there. Yep. Um, it's I, I feel like here's the thing: like the NBA probably wants Isaiah to be the third guy in the conversation because it makes another superstar. You know, if if he's up there with those guys. I just think that LeBron and KD put up the stats that they put up. Like it's it's hard to to put him ahead of those guys, being that they do so many different things, you know. Whereas Isaiah's are scoring, you know, he's a scoring phenomenon, especially when the game's on the line. But um, you know, and he's a and he's a good point guard. I think he's fifteenth in the league in assists, at averaging what like six six point something. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not you know he's he's he does distribute the ball too, um, but. I think those guys probably get the edge on them because they do so many other things, rebounding, um, you know. What What do you think? Well, I do think that, I mean, like I'm impressed by what Giannis is doing, uh, but I think it's definitely a tier below what I've seen from Isaiah so far this season. Right. Um, I, I do think, you know, people say that, that this is intellectual college. I've heard that, that phrase used to describe <laughs> this okay. situation and that, that you aren't necessarily taking votes away from or to Durant and Curry being on the same time, uh, team. But mm-hmm. I mean, like Curry, regardless of whether this is, you know, a fact based narrative or just a popularity contest, and we can have that debate, but I'd rather not. Yeah. Um, 
there, there seems to be some kind of a fallout in terms of Curry's performance because he's not doing that much worse than he was last year. I mean, he's definitely not having the same kind of year, but I mean... Yeah, his, his numbers aren't that far off. You're right. I mean, his scoring is probably the one thing that took the biggest hit, but yeah. that's, I mean... They, they've done a they've done a pretty remarkable job of keeping all three of those guys. Um, yeah, they they have. Uh, I think I think at first at first Curry struggled a little bit adjusting to it because it, it seems like Durant is option one there, and uh, so it's a little different for him. But Curry's still getting his. I mean, he's he's averaging twenty four, I think, um, and he's still doing all the other things that he did well too. Yeah, so for me, for him to be on par with, with people like LeBron and Harden, all the people who are ahead of him at the moment, we're going to need that, that extra piece, that, that rebounding monster. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some kind of personnel move that's going to help open things up for him. Um, I don't know who that is. Um, I wrote an article fairly recently on Celtics Life. Um, talking about all the different options and the problem really is not screwing up long-term plans and still having it be a good fit for the use of the assets. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to dive into that because we're a little bit short on time, uh, but you should definitely check it out. And um, I don't, I think with that, I'll hand it over to uh, Lewis and Topher. All right. Thanks, Justin and Mark. Um, now we're going to get into one of the names that has forever been linked to the Celtics for about two or three seasons now, DeMarcus Cousins. It seems like, as of earlier this week, DeMarcus Cousins isn't on the market anymore, or is he? Who knows at this point? Um, but apparently he's getting ready to sign a mega extension with the Kings. Yeah, so with that new CBA, he's going to be able to be eligible for that like Kevin Durant rule of sorts. And so this will let him sign long term for a ton of money. But does that mean he's off the does that mean he's off the market? Is kind of the question because I mean from my perspective, there's been so much turmoil with him and the Kings front office with the Kings coaching staff. He's had so much trouble there. I just can't imagine that he wouldn't want a fresh start. But it's hard to turn down that money. So you got this insane amount of cash. It's kind of right in front of you. He has the ability to sign. He says he's going to do it, but does that mean he's off the market? I really don't know what the front office is thinking and what happens in a year if they have to fire another coach because of DMC's kind of issues on the court or, you know, in the locker room. But knowing that, you know, this proposed deal, let, let's say it's uh, seven years, 200 million, something like that. Shouldn't that scare teams away, knowing that you have this guy that's pretty volatile? We don't know if a change of scenery will sort of straighten him out. To take such a huge risk on a guy that, again, you don't you don't know what you're going to get. You're making an enormous investment in someone who you may not want on your team in six months. The thing with Demarcus Cut, for me at least, is that. There's never going to be a team that's not going to want to take a risk on it. I mean, he's he's the best center in the game right now. You can, you can maybe make a case for, well, I don't actually, I don't I would say yeah, he's the best center in the game, and you know, he's averaging 28 points a game. He's shooting the best that he's ever shot from beyond beyond the arc, 38 percent almost, and he's heaving up almost five a game. So he's actually playing kind of this. He's adapting to the new NBA. And he's turning into a player that any team would be willing to take a risk on. So I don't think there's any risk of, you know, trading for him. Because even if you have issues, you can find some contender that'd be willing to, you know, take a risk on DeMarcus Cousins. Because, you know, while he does have those on-court issues, while he does kind of have that, I don't know if to describe it as a temper, but, it, you know, he has kind of these issues that may turn some teams away, but there will always be people who want DeMarcus Cousins on their team. No, I agree 100%. Um, in that same vein, we have Jimmy Butler, who, again, has been linked to the Celtics, just like 300 other players. Um, apparently, according to Mark Stein, he's off the market. Um, what do you think about that? So much stuff with Jimmy Butler and all these kind of different guys telling us, you know, he's on the market, the, the Bulls are looking to shop him because, they, you know, their big three didn't work out of Rondo, Dwayne Wade, and Jimmy Butler. 
And so it's kind of tough to, to figure out, you know, where Jimmy Butler stands, where the Bulls front office stands. So it's, I can't imagine why they wouldn't want to keep him and send off Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo. I don't know why you would consider trading Butler. So, I mean, it makes sense to me that he's not in the market. It was kind of a shock to me to hear that he was. So, I don't know. Oh, it's a lot of back and forth. Who He says, she said, blah, blah, blah. But I guess we'll have to wait and see next month. Um, but in that same vein, uh, another target um, that uh, that has been rumored for the Seas is Andrew Bogut. Um, Andrew Bogut, who plays for Dallas. Um, he's averaging 9.1 uh, rebounds per game. Now, for Celtics fans, that number really stands out, and we all know why at this point. Boston, if there's one thing that they need, it's rebounding up, and a big man to do that. Um, and Andrew Bogut seems to fit right in um, with that with that need, um, and it seems like Andrew Bogut seems to think he's going to be moved, but um, as of earlier this week, um, head coach Ray Carlisle said that Bogut would be out for the foreseeable future as he deals with a strained right hamstring. I would seem to think that that hurts his trade value. Um, but what do you think? I, it definitely does. Uh, the question is, you know, what team, because he's on a rental contract, you know, he's on the last year of an $11 million deal. And, uh, you know, is it worth, you know, getting that rental and having him come back, you know, around the time for kind of end of the season push. The Celtics could get him for cheap with this injury news because the Mavs aren't looking to contend. They aren't looking to even necessarily make the playoffs this year. They want to get rid of Bogut and try and get something in return. I think that we could send maybe a couple picks, even second round, and, you know, Tyler Zeller, some random guy who, uh, you know, he's got room to grow, could be someone that the Mavs could, could use long term, something like that. And, you know, the C's don't really lose anything. And then they get a veteran who has championship experience coming back in, you know, May. And, or not May, sorry, in like April. And, you know, you get him for the playoffs and he's there to rebound and kind of fill that gap that we've had so much trouble with so far this year. See, then my question is, does he make them better? Or does he just give you rebounding? Well, if all you're shipping off is a couple draft picks and, and you know, one of our deep bench players, I would say yes. You know, because you got, you add more depth to the bench with the guy who you can actually trust in the lineup. It seems like there's, I wouldn't say there's a lack of trust with players like Tyler Zeller, but I just don't think that Brad Stevens wants, I I think it it requires like a very certain situation for him to want to put in Jordan, Mickey, Tyler Zeller, someone like those players. Whereas Bogut, you know, he's a proven player. He's got, you know, almost 11 years in the league under his belt. He's clearly been successful with the Warriors, with the Bucks when he was his first team. And, with the Mavs, when he hasn't been hurt, he's been doing well. But it's, I think it's it's absolutely worth, you know, a pretty cheap deal uh, in the long term. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But since we're talking about big men, uh, one of the players I mentioned in the last podcast that I uh, wouldn't have minded uh, the C's trading for um, is Brooke Lopez. And apparently the Nets are said to have been shopping uh, – Lopez and their asking price is two first round picks. I don't think that that's too much to ask um, for someone of Brooke Lopez's caliber, but some may disagree. What do you think? Well, Brooke Lopez doesn't fit this like the concept of what the NBA is heading towards. You know, he's, he's a traditional big man, and. Uh, I mean, I like Brook Lopez. I think he's a great player. I don't know if he fits so much on the Celtics, and especially for the cost of two first-rounders. I think the Nets will absolutely find a suitor for Brook Lopez and find someone who wants to, to pay for him. But I don't know if Danny Ainge and the Celtics should be that team. Do you think, that he's, do you think he's worth risk, uh, like spending I, two first-round picks on? I, I really think he is. Uh, he... He... F- I don't know. I think that you plug him in and he gives you scoring. He gives you rebounding. He's really not that old. Um, 
and you know he's he's a proven player. You you know you know what you're gonna get from him. Um, I don't know. I I I I like the idea of a trade for. I like an idea the idea of a trade for him. Well, but, so what do you think he adds to the to the front I mean, So you you replace uh, Amir Johnson. Yeah, Amir Johnson. Whether, whether I, I he's think. a trade, uh, you you have Amir Johnson replaced at the five. Yeah. And then slate him kind of next to Al Horford. Yeah. I, I, that's a, that's a, I don't I don't know I because you the thing with Al Horford is that you can put him on the perimeter. I know he's not a great three-point shooter, but at least he's not stuck in the paint. Someone like Robin Lopez, you want him to, to to stay or sort of hover around the paint. So I don't think it I don't think you create any spacing issues. I, I think if anything you create more space. But that's just me. I don't know. Maybe I'm being idealistic and I'm envisioning these things in a way that they wouldn't actually play out. But I, I, I like him and I like I like the fit. Now, I don't think Brooklyn would be I, – I don't know. I, I think Brooklyn would be smart uh, to, to trade with us again, give them back their pick um, <laughs> and another pick. Uh, but based on our relationship with Brooklyn alone, I don't think he would be coming here, regardless of whether or not we would uh, – Brooklyn would be getting their pick back. Yeah, I think there would be a ton of skepticism. Yeah, just like you know, I think there's just be really a lot of reluctance from the Nets front office to, to make a deal with Danny Ainge again. Yeah, Danny Ainge just be sitting there kind of smiling during the entire conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I um, mean, Brooke Lopez. I mean, he's also it's kind of I'm looking at his stat line now over the course of his career, and uh, he until last year he never attempted more than point two threes a game. This year he's averaging five more. Than his most ever, so he's av- he's averaging 5.2 attempts from behind the arc a game. It's like I didn't realize because I, I don't watch the Nets because I value my time. I, like, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's fun to actually watch basketball, so I just don't watch the Nets. <laughs> but uh, you know, I didn't realize that he's uh, he's not shooting particularly. Uh, he's kind of a mid middling three point shooter at 35, percent so it's not great. But I guess he could stretch the floor in some capacity uh, and maybe he'll improve further with the Celtics uh, from deep possibly um you know him shooting threes I think he's just sort of going with what he's seeing um in the NBA let's just say that we didn't have this three-point revolution over the past few years I'm sure he would you know he he would stay very far away from the three-point line um but seeing as that everybody else is shooting from three, even the even big men, it's like why not? Let's let's shoot five threes a game. If they go in, they go in. If they don't, they don't. Um, but I don't. I don't. I certainly don't think it makes him any less valuable. If anything, if he's making one or two threes a game, I say that's that's great. Um, yeah. The question is, is how much is it that it really doesn't matter what you do with the Nets? How much is it him actually playing basketball, or just that he's you know, taking it up court for whatever reason, and just like decides to play Carmelo Anthony and just pull up for <laughs> yeah. no reason. You know, like how much is it that it just doesn't matter? Versus, yeah. You know that that he's actually trying to win basketball games. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of scoring points, we're gonna go to the totally opposite end of the spectrum and talk about Isaiah Thomas. He's definitely not seven feet tall. Um, he has been killing it in the fourth quarter. I lately fourth right. I yeah, want, I want to make that nickname. I really, like <laughs> I really, yeah. No, he's uh, officially leading fourth quarter, fourth quarter scoring. Yeah, it's like uh, by point two points over no, uh, Russell Westbrook. Ahead. Even further ahead with that uh, against the uh, the Hawks, he had what like twelve points in the fourth quarter. He pulled even. I think he's point four points ahead of Russ in uh, fourth quarter scoring, and it's I love it personally because I just I mean Isaiah. Firstly, just with how well, like how he makes it look that that game winner against Atlanta, he just went off out of nowhere. He had had like a miserable game, and they were talking about it in uh, on SportsCenter or like during the halftime thing, and they were talking about how Isaiah's got this short-term memory. That's what lets him do this, and it's absolutely true because he goes out and he'll have an, a horrible first three quarters, and then in the fourth, it's like he doesn't remember that he didn't 
hit any shots until yeah. that point. And so he just goes out and just, you know, just blows everybody away. So I just love the game that he's playing and the fact that it's winning us games too. I mean, you look at the Washington game where we were trailing for a lot of it and he comes out in the fourth and it's just every, we can expect it on a nightly basis from Isaiah to kind of come out in the fourth and just dominate. You see, in the last podcast, uh, one of the things that I mentioned was that this was coming off of a few games where he had over 30 points, but he didn't have a single assist. And one of the things that I said was that that would give uh, the Isaiah Thomas deniers more fuel to say that, oh, look, he's scoring all these points, but he's not a playmaker. It goes along with the same, you know, the same people that are like, he's too short to this, that, and the other, whatever, whatever. And now I'm wondering if him sort of exploding in the fourth quarter, but not really scoring too much in the first, you know, in the first three quarters, if that's, if that's a bad thing, like, will people look at that and say, well, it shouldn't take him this long to get hot, you know, Uh, he should be consistent throughout the game. Well, that's what I loved about the Hawks game is that he played the role of the facilitator through especially the first quarter during that run where he yeah. was, you know, you'd drive and he'd kick it out to, in most cases during the first, during the first, it was Kelly Olenek yeah. who was unreal from outside. And, uh, you know, mostly off of his assists, the seas were, were scorching from three point range. And, uh, you know, he can take that role and he was making phenomenal passes. It's not even, oh, that, yeah. it's not even that they were just like, you know, he was finding the guy. It was a lucky pass. He was, putting him on point yep. and uh, drawing the defense in. And he was doing an exceptional job of doing that. And then in the fourth, you know, the by the second half, the Hawks defense had kind of adjusted to try and, and cut off those three-point shots. And in the fourth, he kind of adapted and, and found a way to start scoring himself. Yeah. And and he won us that game with both his passing and also his, uh, his scoring. And I, I would say that, you know, the people who – who kind of doubt him. He's not a guy who's going to give you a double-double every night. You know, it's it's just not his style of play. He's a guy who's going to do what you need. And whether yeah. that's scoring or, or passing, he's going to find a way to make it happen, to, to make the best play down the floor every time. And obviously that doesn't happen every single time. But you know what? He, I would say now he's more consistent than ever, and he's more reliable than ever. Yeah. And I, I think that translates over to the All-Star conversation, which we're not talking about the All-Star game right now or the All-Star lineup, but... Nonetheless, I think that he should absolutely be, be looked at for just being a really reliable player and a really valuable player on this Celtics lineup. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, s- speaking of all-stars, uh, once upon a time we had an all-star in Boston. His name was Kevin Garnett. Big ticket. Be- Kevin Garnett has been signed as a consultant with the Clippers. Um, he's going to be at practices occasionally, but he's not going to be on the bench or at games uh, uh, you know, on the bench during games or traveling with the Clippers. Um, I think this is a pretty big move for the Clippers. This this is a team that we've seen time and time again during this during the regular season. They're one of the better teams in the league. They get to the playoffs and everything seems to fall apart. Whether it's an injury here, uh, people not showing up there, what have you. Um, but I think having having Kevin Garnett sort of in the background is a is a big plus uh regardless of whether or not he's you know going to be at the games yeah well i was talking uh with one of my friends back at the trade deadline 2016 trade deadline and i was like the clippers are just becoming the old celtics you know they got doc rivers they had paul pierce they picked up jeff green at the yep. trade deadline. <laughs> now they got kg and it's like it's like doc rivers just wants to build the exact same team that he had in whatever capacity he can yeah, and so it's just like, yeah. you know, I mean, I think it'll be great. I think that he'll he'll do a phenomenal job teaching, uh, or not teaching necessarily, but working with Blake Griffin and, and the, the other Clippers bigs, and I think it'll be really valuable for the team. Uh, I I don't know if it's enough to pull the Clippers ahead of anybody else in the West. No. It's just such an insanely competitive conference. But you know, I mean, the Clippers always are a threat in the West, and whether this makes a difference, it'll be interesting to see playoffs yeah i mean i think we've seen basically everywhere the kg goes is a pretty positive influence i mean we saw what he did in in boston i guess there was something there with the nets um but the timberwolves for sure 
Yeah, and he also had like a lot of a lot of impressions impressions to make. You know, you have Carl Anthony Towns, you got yep. the young players, and all of them really looked up to Kevin Garnett because he's just he's a proven guy. He has this this great history in the league, and he's got this like air of respect that players have for him. And so it's um I think it was I'm sad to see him leave Minnesota for the time being, but. You know, I'm I'm happy to see that he's still involving himself in the league and that he's, you know, making a difference in some capacity. No, for sure. I agree one hundred percent. Um well speaking of respected figures, um, Coach Brad Stevens, the Celtics currently are in the third spot in the East. If they manage to pull into the second spot um by the All Star break, Coach Brad Stevens will coach uh, the East All-Stars. Um, I think that's great. I think it gives them a lot of visibility. We had a piece about this um, on the site uh, earlier this week. Um, I think it gives them great visibility. Um, it gives uh, free agents a look at what Brad Stevens is all about, although I think his his rapport in the league is getting better and better as the season goes on. Um, but, you know, he's already seen as one of the better if not best young coach in the league, um, what do you think about him being a potential all-star coach? I think if he could find a way to, to make it onto that team in the coaching spot, I think that would be it would do wonders for the Celtics and free agency. And I, I say that because in uh, draft workouts, people talked to players who worked out with the Celtics, and they said that the practices were tons of fun and that they really enjoyed you know, playing for Brad Stevens, even in just like scrimmages and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously other players don't have the ability to, to see that and kind of feel that what that what that's like to play for Brad Stevens. So if they can maybe kind of get that, and I think in an all-star game, he would just be, he would play the most ridiculous defensive sets. He would just mess around the entire time. I think it would be the <laughs> craziest game, and I think it would be so much fun to see him like, yeah. let loose. Like, I know he coaches open collar a lot of times. Maybe he unbuttons the shirt. All the, I don't know what he do, but it would be really interesting to see what happens with Brad Stevens. Um, and I think it would be a lot of fun uh, for players, and I think it would it would do wonders for the Celtics and free agency for you know true and tested guys to you know be able to go back to their team and say, no, Brad Stevens is a great coach. It's a lot of fun to play for him, and uh, I think that you know coupled with all the stuff we've got going on already, I think it would make a huge difference in free agency. No, yeah, I agree. Um, as of earlier this week, the Boston Celtics were are fifth in uh, Mark Stein's power rankings. See, all right, so this is this. So number one, Cleveland, two, Houston, three, San Antonio, four, Golden State, and five is Boston. Do you think that's a little too high? No, absolutely not. All right. So behind them, let's just uh, round off the top ten. So we got Memphis, uh, Toronto, Atlanta, the Clippers, and the Jazz. You don't think that we need to adjust that at all? The only team that I could see above us is the Raptors. Yeah, yeah, because they they beat us. Yeah, but even then, that was that was. I mean, it was a close game. Like I yeah, I, it I, was. I it was six kind of alternating. Yeah, yeah. But I, I you know I mean I think that I don't know if it just doesn't feel like we're as good a team as we are, but the Celtics are a very good team, and they yeah. got they got all these pieces, and they're finally putting it together. Uh, and they're what, like 11 and 2 in their last 13 games, something like that. And it's, you know, they've been on a tear. And it's something that at least Mark Stein is recognizing. But a lot of, a lot of fans need to understand that this is a team that, you know, we're quietly making a, a really good season, uh, with not a ton of talent. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really, I mean, whether we can pull ahead of the Raptors is going to be interesting to see. And it's, you know, obviously, you know, we talked about it earlier, or Mark and Justin did, but, you know, we haven't beaten any really good teams yet, and that's something that's going to be the test as we come towards the postseason, and yeah. something that will really prove whether we belong this high in the power rankings, and that's that's going to be the question that needs to be answered. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty cool to see them so high, if, if nothing else. Fifth, that's a pretty big deal. Behind teams of that caliber, I mean... But you do make a good point in the 
the whole we haven't beaten a good team uh, narrative, but we'll see. It's we still got we still got a little bit to go. Part of that um, also that loss to Toronto has to do with Avery Bradley's injury. Yeah. So I mean, you were telling me before uh, we started recording this that you know Avery Bradley right now he's on like a really day to day. What's kind of going on with with Avery's injuries? So as of this morning, uh, the Boston Celtics tweeted out that. Um, he went through warmups and now he's participating in contact drills. So seems like he he's probably good to go for the next game. So that, that's a that's a huge boost um, for Boston. Um, next up on the schedule, they have Charlotte. You know, Charlotte they're they're in the seventh uh, seventh seed right now. Um, twenty and twenty on the season. Um, they've lost four in a row. Uh, seven of their last ten. Um, but they're they're one of those teams that'll that'll beat you if if you don't sh- show up one hundred percent. You know, I I think that it's it'll be a challenging game. How despite feel, how do you feel about the Celtics play without Avery Bradley? If they go into that game without Avery Bradley, although it does seem like they'll they'll be he'll be ready to go, it'll be tough. It'll be really tough. I wouldn't be surprised if Charlotte. Uh, came out and, and stole that game with Avery Bradley. Not so much. I think you know it won't be an easy game, but they'll win. Um, but w- what do you think? Well, Mark is smart, uh, so I'm, I'm going to assume that Avery Bradley stays sidelined for one more game. Just uh, okay. Just you know, because I feel like the Celtics want to kind of stay on the side of caution as far as injuries go this year. Um, and so I, I mean, Mark is smart. Has been playing. His shooting, granted, against Atlanta was a bit... I mean, it was awful against Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, he found ways to, to make it work. And Brad Stevens said earlier last week that, you know, Marcus Smart brings so much to the game. And he makes a difference no matter what his stat line looks like. And so I think, you know, he's come to play with, with Bradley on the sideline. And uh, I think he's earned a lot of minutes... Um, whether Bradley's in or not, and whether they kind of ease him back into the rotation, how that works. But I don't see a lot of difficulty with Charlotte as long as we can kind of maintain the level of play that we've been keeping up over the past few weeks. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, Kemba Walker is always, always dangerous. Um, and you've just got a lot of, a lot of great players on that, that squad. Um, that just, you know, they find ways to make it work. And, um, you know, you got Nick Batum, who's, I remember watching him in the Olympics, and right now he's leading the, the Hornets at a lot of stats. And then you got Roy Hibbert, who's kind of this crazy rim protector. Yeah, yeah. You just got this this fun roster on the Hornets. And it's, I'm surprised they're not doing better than they are, but like you said, they've been having kind of a difficult time as of late. Yeah. So, after the Charlotte game, we have the Knicks and... Uh, Portland. Um, the next game seems like uh, Porzingis has an Achilles injury that might keep him out of the game. Without Porzingis, does do the Knicks have any realistic chance of beating the Seas? Depends on who comes up to play. Because I mean, I think about like the Christmas Day game. Oh yeah, that was a good one. That was a great game. That was a great game. And uh, you know, you've got this kind of it's it's the strangest Knicks team because. You know, one night they'll they'll put up like 120 points. The other they'll put up 75. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's just it's it's so hard to predict which next team you're gonna see. And so, um, on we also don't know if Derrick Rose is gonna show up to the game. <laughs> That's true. Whether he even just is in the stadium, who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's um, there's just so much there. It's a huge question mark of a team. And uh, yeah. I don't know if their record indicates you know, how they are actually as a team. And I, I talked about it with Justin last week on, on the podcast last week uh, about just, like, they're the most confusing team to watch because they've got so much talent. That's what um, I say all the time. You would think that they should be so much better. Absolutely. I mean, they, they're like the old school Bulls, the Bulls of, like, 2014. Yeah. Uh, with Derek Rose and Joaquim Noah, who can't find his game anymore, which is really sad because I love Joe Aquino. I really wish yeah. he was you know, back in his, in his form. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, Carmelo Anthony, Christmas Day, what what happened there is, you know, we led for most of the game until Carmelo Anthony remembered how to play basketball. <laughs> and yeah. so, 
the question is, uh, does he show up to play, and is he going to be able to, to score? Because we haven't, we've only really seen one good quarter out of Carmelo Anthony this season against the Celtics. Yeah. The first game, he got ejected, and then Christmas Day, you know, he didn't play for the first three. He, he scored something like five points, four from the free throw line in the first three yeah. quarters. So, it, it, can we lock down Carmelo Anthony? And, uh, you know, what happens elsewhere? I think Justin O'Quinn uh, was, for some reason, scorching us on Christmas Day. And it's yeah. there's just a lot of obscure players who, who play well from the Knicks. And who shows up is the question of whether we can do this. And also whether we think, whether we become complacent playing a team like the Knicks um, also kind of changes how, how the game goes. Yeah. All right, so what do you think about the matchup against Portland? I think Portland is another team that, Sort of like Charlotte, if they're, they're sort of like Charlotte, and they're sort of sort of like the Knicks. They should be a lot better than they are. Uh, as of right now, they're eighth in the West. Um, but you would think with the talent on that team, they would be good for at least I don't know, let, fifth or sixth. Let, let's not put them in the eighth spot. Um, but what do you think? I, I think they're one of those uh, silent but deadly teams. Yeah, you can't sleep on them. No, not at all. Absolutely can't. And, and you and I were talking before. They've got probably one of the best backcourts in the league. Yep. Uh, and, you know, Damian Lillard, uh, earlier, or last week, I should say, um, you know, he going up against the Lakers, I want to say, and then he was playing horribly, and then gets in this scuffle with Nick Young. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly comes out to play, and that, like that got him going. So you really can't give him a second to find his game. Uh, otherwise, they'll put up 40 points, and it's just now I don't know if we can defend a guy like Damian Lillard, um, especially if Avery Bradley's still out. I doubt that he will be by the time that Portland rolls around. But you know, we need a perimeter defender to keep up with with Damian Lillard, and then you also need a guy that can keep up with CJ McCollum on the other on from the two spot. So yeah, they're both very just, quick, very quick players. Yeah, you can't just shift Bradley over to Dame. You got to keep him on CJ or find someone. So whether you do like Marcus Smart at the one and Avery Bradley at the two for defensive purposes or how you kind of work that out, it's going to be interesting. So, but there's really a lot of threats, especially in their starting five, and not really a place to hide anybody on defense. So it'll be interesting. I, I think the C's can realistically win all three games this week um, and kind of keep their their role going. That'd put them on a five game winning streak, but. You know, I mean, it's always it's always tough because it seems like we play so hard through the first three quarters that the fourth quarter, I think that's why it's always Isaiah's quarter is because everyone else is just exhausted. And so, yeah. you know, it, a lot of times we will have like a 10-point lead going into the fourth and we'll kind of see that slowly fall away. And then Isaiah has to step up and, and finish the team off. So if we can keep that from happening, I think we could win all three and, and put a win streak at five. So, if the Celtics do go 3-0 and and trade for DeMarcus Cousins and Chevy Butler this week, uh, you'll definitely be seeing stories about all of those things on Celtics Life. Speaking of Celtics Life, um, we have a bunch of shirts and hoodies in our web shop, so be sure to check them out. On the site, you can also get tickets to the next Celtics game, so be sure to spend some time on our website, click around, and see if you find something you like. Alright, thanks everybody. Thank you.